This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. And Nina is very dedicatedly coming at us today from her holiday in New Orleans. I am. And if there are any noises in the background, that is probably why I'm not with my usual mic setup. And I'm back to my phone recordings as I did in the olden days of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) But um, hopefully it'll create some Mardi Gras atmosphere (laughs) to the bring some Mardi Gras atmosphere to the pod. (laughs) That is okay. My background, even with my microphone, usually has some fun neighborhood sounds in the background because... um, Uh, I record during the morning and um, Australians love their morning renovations. Even during the week, you can't go any particular morning without someone having a lawnmower or a leaf blower going. So, and never mind the birds. So all good. Uh, We are forgiving (laughs) of background noises here. I think this is our largest time difference too, which is kind of exciting. It is. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? I do. What, 17 I do. Yes, you are 17 hours behind me at the moment. Wow. Which technically means that we're actually the closest in physical time of day that we've ever been it's mm. just just on two different days right it'll be so much fun coming to you from california when i do a visual eventually visit my grandma or something like that yeah absolutely anyway you having a good time yes i'm having a lot of fun here it's so beautiful i always love coming to visit her and to see the city mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite cities in the u.s I would say, because it's got so much life. There's always music and noise and people. And I usually come for Mardi Gras, not specifically for Mardi Gras, but it just is the time of year that I happen Mm. to usually be available. And it's really nice because it's an escape from the cold weather. It's a bit warmer down here in the south. And that's been really, really nice, like actually hot weather, which I haven't had in so long. Nice. So that's been great. Plus, everyone's in a celebratory mood, lots of life and excitement and fun things to do. Parades going on every night. Music. It's been good. Sounds awesome. Sounds lots of fun. I love it here. So unfortunately, all these distractions have actually kept me from reading that much since I've been here. I did buy one book, but I haven't read that much. I've only read one book while I've been here. All my other reading was before I arrived in New Orleans. Okay. I mean, reading a book in the middle of Mardi Gras season, I feel like that's, you've done well. (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, the only reason I read it too is because we had this plan to talk about this book today. Spoiler for what's what's to come, guys. Well, there you go. I mean, podcast continuing to keep you motivated and on track. (laughs) So here we are. That's what you wanted from this podcast. It's continuing to deliver. So before we get into the books we've read this week, how was your week? My week was fine and completely uninteresting. So let's not waste any more time talking about that and get straight into it. My first read this week was I finished actually much quicker than I expected to The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. Hmm. As listeners may recall, last week I spoke about the fact that I was struggling to get into it a little bit, the combination of still being quite fatigued and the book being written in second person was kind of throwing me a little, but the intrigue factor 
which was already fairly high, was the thing that was really kind of keeping me going with it. it. Just continued to increase, and I basically sat down. I think the day after we recorded, read. 150 or so pages in one go and then the morning after that just dedicated myself to just read the rest of the book all in one go oh wow so yeah I was very very much just kind of went this is it this is my priority this morning this is what I want to do today and that's such a good feeling it is it was so good and can highly recommend I ended up giving that one a 4.75 so just to do like a mini recap on the premise of this one, for anyone who may have not heard last week's episode, essentially it's an afterlife story that's set in Sri Lanka during the Sri Lankan Civil War, towards the beginning of the Sri Lankan Civil War, 1990, a war photographer has woken up dead in a kind of celestial visa office of sorts and the book spends its entire time with him kind of floating on earth still but as it goes to the spirit kind of deal trying to essentially he has seven moons so seven nights seven days to kind of get his business finished (laughs) essentially before he kind of makes his decision about what he wants to do with the rest of his afterlife basically is the premise of the book and he needs to within that seven days well first of all he wants to you know try and figure out who who killed you know he he's he highly suspects that he's been killed he wants to know who's killed him but more importantly to him he wants to make sure that his war photographs some of the ones that he hasn't been able to publish uh because they'd be too likely to get him killed uh, ironically he wants to make sure that they end up getting into the right hands and so he wants to lead the people that he really loves and trusts to them that's where the book starts and it's phenomenal story writing it's phenomenal plot the the point two five that I took off was still for the second person choice just because I still think that it's just not a writing style that is a preferred one for me I I think it would have been stronger to me, if it was written in first person, I didn't really see the point of it being written in second person. It didn't add anything to the story for me, and every now and again it would distract me. But otherwise, the writing was superb. The plot was fantastic. The intrigue factor was through the roof. Fantastic. And the kind of insights into the Sri Lankan Civil War and the context. It was a combination of really interesting and thrilling and mysterious and dark all at the same time with also a very slight humorous overtone so that it wasn't really just kind of heavy. Heavy, Um, yeah. So a very, very deserving winner of the 2022 Booker Prize and can highly recommend to pretty much anyone. There's something in this book for most readers, I would say. I'm totally sold by the premise. Something that I'm realizing is that not only am I totally on board with anything that involves a bit of magical realism, but also paranormal. I'm getting Mm. really into paranormal, which I thought I didn't like because, you know, I think ghosts can be done kind of cheesy Mm. especially in movies when i think of like paranormal i think of like i don't know like the conjuring totally yeah oh god that is you know oculus yeah Yeah. 
at least movies that I don't really like. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, the I'm Conjuring, not going to I just don't watch I them. I giggled my exactly. way the entire way through The Conjuring. My my housemate is a big horror movie and horror, just generally a horror fan. And uh, he, he showed me The Conjuring and I was, I alternated my way between bored and just laughing at how cringy it was. And so, yeah. Oh my gosh. Have you seen the Stephen King adaptation of The Mist? I, I just not. watched that recently. It cracked me up it was so <laughs> messed up like so ridiculously twisted by the end but it really thought I really thought it was satire like the way it was filmed almost felt like the office because it was like these oh, angles no. like under people's arms or like from across the room zooming uh, in you know yeah. what I mean it was really yeah. funny I just can't take that seriously. Yeah. But I think I uh, have a bad association with the concept of paranormal yep. because it doesn't have to be that style. It can be yeah. really, like, psychological it and, can, yeah. like, developed. And I don't know. Not that those things aren't, but they're not things that yeah. typically attract me. So I think I'm going to be really getting into paranormal this year as a yeah. genre. I'm, I've been really enjoying it lately as well. I mean, Horns, I read it towards the end of last year and I really enjoyed that as well. And all the, I mean, witches don't uh, don't quite fit into paranormal. They're closer to fantasy than they are to paranormal, but it's kind of on like that edge of their right. close-ish to human. And so like they're not, they're not full-blown myth- mythical creatures or whatever. So uh, I, you know, vampires and witches kind of are on that like borderline. And so I'm quite interested in those stories lately as well. So as you can tell, I've been reading a lot of witch books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think also something that draws me and maybe you as well is that a lot of the time paranormal stories have something to do with like like a cultural mm. fable, you know, fabric of a certain society or a place, mm. you know, the mythology associated with that yeah. culture. And I love learning about mythologies that I'm not familiar with that yeah. go yeah. outside of the typical Greek and Roman canon, you know. That is very um, true. And there is or some even of that. Egyptian, you know. There is some of that so here I, as well. Really like there's names of different demons and stuff that are definitely not present in like Western culture. So yeah, can can highly recommend. I love that. Yeah. Folklore, you know, usually involves something paranormal. I yeah. like that a lot. So 2023, the year of the paranormal. I'm ready for it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maybe just because I'm in New Orleans and it's a, such a ghosty kind of town. Such True, a haunted yes. town. Yes. That's uh, that kind of, is that where they do, the, that's, that's, they're kind of known for that kind of voodoo stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. where they're known for voodoo. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What was your first completed read for this week? Well, actually, my first completed read was similar. It's called The Many Lives of Lila Starr, Hmm. written by Ram V and illustrated by Philip Andrade. Andrade? Andrade? I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his last name, but it is a gorgeous graphic novel like Mm. the colors here blew my mind the art Mm. style in general blew my mind it's a pretty thin book which i wasn't expecting it's kind of more what i associate with like a comic volume collection do you know what i'm talking about i'm showing emma the book in the camera but it's like one of these thin tall sort of comic booky style graphic novels plus it has more of a comics style in the way that the frames are done and the captions of the bubbles and i believe it actually was published in like multiple volumes that they compiled into this this book and i'm hoping they actually make more volumes because i really liked this Mm -hmm. basically it follows the character of death death as the 
I believe, Hindu goddess of death, um, Mm. not sort of a Western death perspective. But so death works in an office full of other gods and deities, the god of life, the god of, I don't know, we didn't learn too much about the other gods because there's like a brief moment of coming to see like the offices, you know, with the different Mm. gods. But it focuses on this character because there is a person on earth, this takes place in like very near future, it kind of feels like the present, it doesn't have any Mm. other elements that would be futuristic, but It takes place in a present-ish time in which there is someone who's just born who's going to develop a cure for death or like the possibility of immortality in the mortal world. And so she's basically fired because her job is no longer needed. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that they cast her out to the mortal world to take over the body of a girl who just died. As in the moment that death was fired, she sort of like comes to life in that girl's body. And what's interesting is that it doesn't follow anything related to this girl's life, the body that she... that death took over what happens is that death is really reckless with her mortal body and will just sort of run around and die accidentally here and there because she's not used to like the concept of mortality and she's got this friend who i think is the god of life who keeps bringing her back because i think he like likes her or something there's some sort of romantic element that's Mm -hmm. like unrequited i don't know it's very interesting but essentially She spends each of her lives on this mission to find and sometimes she wants to kill or sometimes she wants to discourage the person who is developing this cure for death and the secret to immortal life. So she wants Mm. to like get her job back essentially. That's her goal. Hmm. And it's a really heartfelt story. It was really cute. I found the characters to all be endearing but also like complicated, not like totally warm and fuzzy it was dark at times but i felt like the characters were all very well developed it felt like the story took exactly the amount of time that it needed to which is something you want to look for in graphic novels i feel Mm. like and like i said the art style and the color palette is just stunning i highly recommend it it's actually really interesting how in this book maybe because it's more of a comic style they have a lot of different attributions to the different aspects of the production so like it says written by ram v illustrated by philip andrade and color assisted by inez amaro lettered by and world design cover by Philip Andrade again mm. and they have all these different like alternative cover options that are thrown in between chapters which is really cool I really liked this and it not only made me interested in picking up more like works of this style of this artist and like potentially future volumes mm. but also wanting to get more into compilated comics i don't mm. know what the word is for that because i never got into comics but there are some really great comic books out there that i used to love when i was younger i read much more like comic books and graphic novels than i do now and i really like this particular style i feel mm. like i think because it's more of a unending like a uh, heartstopper is you know like mm. it comes out in these shorter volumes and so it it's more likely to continue on in the future and like complete the story as opposed to like a graphic novel that like is definitely a start and end like standalone mm. yeah. story yeah um or even like something like sheets where i don't know how she releases it but i imagine once she does 
you know, the three volumes. Each book is like released as one book. I don't know if the books are released in shorter sections, but I guess reading comics is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I want to read more comics. This is published by Boom Studios, which I believe is pretty big in the comics world. I feel like I see that logo in a lot of places. Yeah, that rings a bell. I think it might be the same one that's on the back. I I, th- I think they because like I I'm having a, a a visual memory. I think they may have done Gorilla Green as well from memory. But yeah, I highly recommend this one. It was really pretty, and it's not so heavy on like the education on like Hindu folklore. But mm-hmm. it was really interesting to see this sort of perspective on death because I, I guess I didn't expect it. I expected a more like Western idea mm-hmm. of death. But I was happy to get this version as well because I learned a bit more than I would have otherwise. And it also takes place in Mumbai, which is cool because it's a setting I don't read about very often. And yeah. it was a really beautiful beautiful landscape to set the story in and it has so many beautiful colors and I really enjoyed it nice nice so I think I would rate that one a 4.0 excellent that's two graphic novels you've rated 4.0 this year yep going strong so far I'm looking forward to my year in graphic novels because now that I've read a bunch of the ones that were like on a list that people had recommended I can now go into reading ones that I actually pick out for myself and anticipate mm. liking because I you know chose it based on some concept versus like just being like oh someone recommended this so I'll put it on yeah. my list I think that's maybe led to not as many graphic novels that were particularly my style mm. but still glad that I read them no regrets there so yeah nice Nice. What was your second completed read for the week? The second book I read this week was Spells for Forgetting, which was that triple barreled challenge. What's the word I'm looking for? Bullseye? Bulldozer. Not bulldozer. No, bulldozer. No, what's the word? That, um, strike. That's it. The bowling one. <laughs> Sports <laughs> metaphors. I can do those. Um, <laughs> bowling is a sport. <laughs> yes. That counts. Um, uh, that's the one. And uh, It only counts for nerds, I feel like. My sh- high school is totally tangent. <laughs> Hey, I mean, whatever. The fact that I even bowling, I couldn't remember the term for it, shows you how little sports have played a part in my life. So there we go. Uh, Spells for Forgetting by Adrian Young. So this was a fantasy mystery with some romance. So it's like really is like a three in one genre mix. It was very enjoyable. It was, I ended up giving this one a 4.5 much less witchcraft than I expected. Like, there was definitely magic in there, and magic played uh, a fairly big role in the overall plots and all that. But, yeah, definitely less witchy than I expected it to be for a book with spells in the title. So, you know, just a heads up for people going in. I wasn't quite expecting that. Definitely more of a mystery book with witchcraft in it. So, because this is a mystery book, I might just read the description rather than try and explain it myself because I don't want to accidentally spoil anything by saying the wrong thing. So, all right. A rural island community steeped in the mystical superstitions of its founders and haunted by an unsolved murder is upended by the return of the suspected killer in this deeply atmospheric novel. That is true. I I can, can concur. It is a very atmospheric novel. Emery Blackwood's life was forever changed on the eve of her high school graduation when the love of her life, August Salt, was accused of murdering her best friend, Lily. Now she is doing what her teenage self swore she never would, living a quiet existence among the community that fractured her world in two. 
She once longed to run away with August, eager to escape the misty remote shores of Saoirse Island and chase new dreams. Now she maintains her late mother's tea shop and cares for her ailing father. But just as the island, rooted in folklore and tradition, begins to show signs of strange happenings, August returns for the first time in 14 years and unearths the past that no one wants to remember. August Salt knows that he is not welcome on Saoirse, not after the night that changed everything. As a fire raged on at the Salt family orchard, Lily Morgan was found dead in the dark woods, shaking the bedrock of their tight-knit community and branding August a murderer. When he returns to bury his mother's ashes, he must confront the people who turned their backs on him and face the one wound from the past that has never healed, Emery. But the town has more than one reason to want August gone, and the emergence of deep betrayals and hidden promises that span generations threatens to reveal the truth behind Lily's death once and for all. So, it's, you know, small town, mystery with magic, and I very much enjoyed 4.5. I managed to guess one half of the plot, and so I was kind of halfway through going, oh no, this isn't just another predictable murder mystery, and then at the end I realised that the other half of the plot I had not predicted, and so that made me happy again. Always a good sign when, when a murder mystery can still surprise you, at least at least in one half of it, so yeah. Awesome, I love that. In general, can recommend, I think. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have much more like nuanced stuff to say. It's always really hard to talk about mystery novels. <laughs> yeah, because literally anything you say can help or hint the reader yeah. into thinking it's going one direction. And you really don't want to do that with a mystery novel. It's complicated to talk about. I feel like I only ever like say nothing or say more than I probably should because I feel justified for some reason, like yeah. I didn't like it or something. Yeah. But yeah. even then, I probably shouldn't say as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess I'll hand over to you. Well, quick question before we move on. Now that you've finished two of your biggest challenge completers, are you planning to add any books to your challenges or like use a book to complete a challenge that you were going to use that book for? Or are you just going to stick with it and see where the month takes you? Because we're so early in the month. My plan is always every month, complete challenge books first and then read like authors that I'm trying to catch up on, things they've written or graphic novels I've been given, books I've been given recently, books that are on the scratch-off poster, rereads, but that's all kind of based on mood and or alternating. But yeah, challenge challenge reads are always the priority each month. It's just that January I also had my two non-challenge reads for January were library books and they both popped up earlier in the month in like my loans than I had expected them to which is why they were kind of mixed in so that makes sense yeah okay well I'm excited to see what you read now that you're in the clear with your challenges no nope, not quite in the clear still got oh, one more what do you have left the one that I'm currently reading so we'll uh okay yeah never mind <laughs> <laughs> so what was your second read for my second read of the week I listened to Holes by Lewis Satcher, which Ooh. I hope is the pronunciation of that name. Yeah, it was a... Uh, I don't remember what exactly prompted me to pick that up. I think it might have been a podcast, but uh, I've never watched the movie. Me. I me- I possibly you. I, I've mentioned Louis Satcher 
uh, by the way, I have no idea if that's the correct pronunciation. We've both said it drastically differently. Neither of us has any idea which is <laughs> correct. We should probably look that up, but we have not. So let's just go with that's our okay. own pronunciations for now. Editor's note, I've since looked this up. We were both wrong, although Nina was much closer. It's actually Lewis Sacker. I mentioned his books to you many, 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 many podcast episodes ago. Probably one of our first ones. So possibly it was me. Right. You know, I think I remember that. And I definitely think it put that on my radar. And then I think I heard about it again recently somewhere Mm. and that confirmed it. You know what I mean? Because it was a book and a movie that I had been aware of for a long time because it was very popular and people really loved the book and the movie. I still haven't seen the movie. I really want to. I haven't either, actually. But I'm waiting to... Really? I'm waiting to actually read the second book. So Mm. I'm going to pick that up as soon as it comes in at the library. Should be on its way pretty soon. But yeah, no, I listened to it just because it felt like uh, something a lot of people know and reference that I didn't. So I just wanted to pick it up since it was a quick, easy, middle grade audiobook. And I really enjoyed it. I think Mm -hmm. I rated that one a four star book as well Mm -hmm. yeah I haven't like developed that too much but I really liked that this book was like a bit aged like it came out I think in 2000 and yet Mm -hmm. it still felt very contemporary and it still had this great cast of characters Mm -hmm. a diverse cast of characters to experiencing this challenging you know situation Mm -hmm. in which their their character comes through it felt very classic you know it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Flies Mm kind of reminded me of that which I actually never finished that book I sort of DNF'd it but not on purpose like I'm gonna pick it up again but you know what I mean like just boy little boys against the world you know what I mean being angsty and having to dig holes I don't know it was just a funny cute story I loved the sort of wild west feeling that it had it was very Mm. atmospheric and an easy read I thought the characters were great the plot was good the intrigue was good I I was happy with it for sure and now I definitely want to watch the movie and listen to the other audiobook awesome yeah i'm glad you lo- i'm glad you said the word classic because li- the fir- it's it definitely has modern classic vibes and that's what i was thinking as well yeah. so yeah it's been so long since i've read it and i would really like to reread that at some point that's that's definitely something i would i'm planning to reread it it had that very heartwarming sort of energy you know it it definitely felt like something I would want to give to a kid in my life Mm. you know someone of middle grade age it kind of reminded me of Percy Jackson a little bit because Mm. it's like the quote-unquote outcast or I don't know if this is a correct word to use anymore but like delinquent boy you Mm. know it has that energy of like someone like that trying to find their way in the world and navigate the, the the challenges that have been put in front of them Mm. and find community and stuff like that i really liked that yeah nice awesome so what are you currently reading i am as of this morning currently reading the third and final of my challenge books for february which i forgot to mention last week but i I included it in an editor's note, so that's why you don't remember it, is because you haven't heard the podcast from last week yet. Uh, so you're not you're not going crazy, Nina. I, it just wasn't mentioned last week. Um, so it is The Birthday of the World and Other Stories by Ursula K. Le Guin, which is probably the most out of my comfort zone book that has been assigned so far in any of the book clubs I'm in. Mm. That is the Gumption Club read for this month. This is 
a science fiction short story collection that also, technically a short story collection, but the last story in the collection says on my audiobook app that the last story is four hours long, so technically it seems like it's a few short stories and then like a novella, and oddly enough it's not actually The Birthday of the World. That's the penultimate story. So hmm. the longest story, the, the the well and truly longest story is not the one the book's named after, but sure. So this is well and truly outside my comfort zone. This is fairly kind of classic sci-fi stuff of you are thrown immediately in each story into a completely different alien world with new words and names for everything and having to readjust your brain to new language immediately, which, yeah, not, not, not a thing I'm used to. And I've read the first short story and half the second one so far, and it took me a little while to get into the first one because it did do that thing of, here's a bunch of made-up words in the first Mm -hmm. several... Maybe, honestly, that first story had the first probably third a third of it was stuff that was just almost gibberish to me and I just had to kind of let the words wash over me until it started to make sense it did eventually start to make sense a little once I started figuring out what was going on the second story so far is a bit more accessible mostly because it's got the start of it it has like a human character investigating and so it's like coming from a human voice explaining things which helps a lot but yeah that first one really threw me in the deep end and um (laughs) there's like an opening credits to the book as well which I think probably is there for people who've read more of her works because it made no sense to me at all. Like, it was basically just, like, providing context of these stories in relation to the worlds that Le Guin builds generally, or the world, the universe that she builds or something. And I was just kind of going, okay, this is irrelevant to me because this is the first book of yours I've read. So I'm just, all right. (laughs) So yeah, it's a little intimidating so far, but I do like the general themes that are being covered so far. Both of the stories have been centered around sex and gender related things. That seems to be an ongoing theme with her writing is Mm -hmm. just kind of the pointlessness of gendered roles in humanity and how it could so easily be any other way in any other society. That seems to be like an ongoing thing as part of a feminist writing style that she does. I've been thrown in the deep end with this book, not gonna lie, and a few other people are feeling the same way from what I've seen in the Discord chats for this book club and the, the person who assigned this book is now feeling slightly guilty she's like this was my first Le Guin and it kind of worked for me but I now see that for a lot of people this is not the most logical book to start with of hers and I apologize because <laughs> a lot of people are just kind of like I feel I feel a little lost <laughs> like not her stories don't actually they're not reliant on each other at all like it's not like I've been thrown in the middle of a series or anything mm-hmm. but it does seem like I'm not the only one that's a little intimidated and confused so far so is it like that she has a very specific like writing style that maybe you have to get in the mood for or in the mindset of um the writing style actually is very good it's more the i'm just not used to reading sci-fi that has like like it's it's the kind of sci-fi and i get the same thing with fantasy where um like i said they just kind of 
have a bunch of made up names right from the get go and you have to suddenly learn right. a, a whole bunch of things and you have to try and remember them. And to, but the fact that they're short stories does help a little because I know that if I don't understand too much of what's going on, I don't have to remember for too long. <laughs> Like, I feel like that would actually help less because then you have to learn so many different worlds. And, yeah, like, there is that. Words. It's an interesting introduction to an artist to get this sort of sampler. My thing is that if I don't understand this one, I might understand the next one. Right. And the, and the other thing is that even if I don't understand the worlds, I do understand the concepts. Right. So, like, even if I don't understand what specific, like, it doesn't matter what these creatures are called, I understand that they're having problems with this specific sex gender thing. So... Right. Even though it's a little overwhelming at first when they throw a bunch of words at me, eventually when they get into the actual story part of the story, I can still follow along with what's happening. It doesn't really matter to me... And I guess that's the thing, is that to some people it's really important for sci-fi and fantasy what all, what these creatures look like, sound like, you know, what their names are, what their language is, all that kind of stuff. It's like people who are super into Star Trek and they know, like, the Klingon language and all the alien races and all that kind of stuff, and that's awesome, good for them. I'm not one of those people, I get overwhelmed, and I would much rather just follow along with whatever story's going on in that episode and be like, oh, okay, this is the conflict that they're trying to solve. I don't care what the alien race is. I'll just follow along with the story. That's kind of how I'm approaching this. You know, I think there's something really interesting about sci-fi that allows you to approach it from different angles. Yeah. Because most of the time in the sci-fi that I've read, at least, it's very heady, you know? So mm. you can read it for the world and you can read it for the characters or the, you know, putting yourself in another yeah. universe. Or you can read it for the societal analysis or yes. the, the Which cultural is, yeah. conversation it's creating. Which is the only only way I'm reading it to be honest like that's totally fair yeah like I'm, I'm just reading it for the analogies to humanity because th that's the only ugh, I'm a very human oriented person I'm very much I'm like I'm a psychology major I studied psychology I did an honors degree in psychology everything I do comes back to human introspection and Everything I read, I read about from the angle of what does this say about hum about humans and how they think and feel and do and what choices they make. And so that's how I'm reading most books anyway, and that's just tripled for sci-fi because I don't, like, I just... So yeah, I, I guess that's what I'm saying is that that's, ha that's how I deal with these books is that when they're... And, and that's why I generally don't like a lot of sci-fi is because... Some of it doesn't have a lot else and it just is world building without a lot of substance. And so that's why I have trouble. And so I was actually really glad with these first two stories to see that it does seem to be a lot of kind of social commentary on gender and sex because that I can get behind. <laughs> so I'm very relieved that despite the fact that these these stories are, you know, slightly intimidating in the way that they're set out still, uh, I can definitely get behind kind of going, oh, all right, cool. I've picked up on what this story is about. Now I can focus on that. <laughs>
<laughs> takes me a little takes me a little while, but I'm in, I'm in here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm good. Okay, we found the human element. We are sticking to it. I'm glad that there's something for you in there. I definitely think it's one of those genres where there's like something for everyone, and it's just intimidating because I think the the fandoms around sci-fi can be really intense, yes. and also like the ideas are big concepts. Even if you're looking at it from a human perspective, it can take a lot more brain power to like work through to understand those concepts yeah. than maybe reading a more fluffy contemporary you know yes absolutely yeah. so or even like a fluffy fantasy and i'm sure there are fluffy sci-fis as well but i would say the majority of sci-fi is very psychological or even like about it. it doesn't even need to be like fluffy necessarily like i can read literary fiction till the cows come home it's not necessarily about like complexity of language it's about familiarity of like right. familiarity of concepts honestly like if i'm having to imagine a brand new world that's fine but if i'm having to imagine a brand new world using a new word that's just been made up and not defined for me and i have to mm-hmm. interpret what that word means based on context when the context hasn't been defined yet and then you have to like mm-hmm. backtrack what that word means later when you then learn what the context is my memory's not that good man i just my, I've, my i have fa- i have fatigue i have brain fog my memory's just not that good i <laughs> i think i think my brain's just not made to do this I'm glad that I'm listening to this as an audiobook because otherwise I know I know myself I would be the kind of person that would be flipping back and forth to try and figure out what every single word is and it would be thoroughly decreasing my enjoyment of the book whereas this way I'm just kind of letting the words wash over me and if I don't understand most of them that's fine I just kind of let the story bits whatever sticks sticks you know right I mean interestingly that's actually a similar experience I have with the Shakespeare's where Mm. you know there's this huge cast of characters that you often are just thrown in the middle of and you don't really have that much time to develop an understanding for who they are and because there aren't descriptions really of what they look like it's hard to not get lost in them especially if you're listening to an audiobook and you don't see or hear the names of the characters right Mm. as they're reading out the dialogue so something I'll often do is I'll write out the list of characters and their sort of relationships on like a sticky note Mm. and when I'm like listening to the audiobook at work I'll just have that sticky note on my computer so I can look down and reference like oh who's (laughs) sir whoever or who's this lady who's madam what's her name that really helps that's so it can happen in any genre you know that's fair yeah so I think that pretty much sums that up I'll probably finish that pretty quickly because it it is an audiobook I'm sure I'll be able to report back on that by next week and uh I believe you have one more finished book to discuss, but that is going to be our main section for the end of the week. So how about we come back to that? Right. I have nothing for our TBR section. I, by some miracle, have managed not to add anything to my already 660-something long TBR this week. (laughs) So what is your pick for your TBR this week and do you have any hauls yes you do you mentioned earlier you have one book that you bought this week yes so the book that i added this week is one that we probably all will be at least somewhat familiar with it's a backlist ad that i decided to put on my tbr my my coveted list of books it, it got a special spot even though i pretty much let go of my 100 book limit rule Good. i'm at 114 right now i don't know we'll see i might come back to it but i don't know anyway the book that I chose to talk about this week that I added to my TBR is Coraline. Not that this book needs any more press than it already has, 
but I guess I just wanted to highlight it because I am looking forward to hopefully reading that at some point. It's, you know, a classic that, or a modern classic that I never got to. I love the movie. It's one of my favorite movies, and I'm really curious how it compares to the book, if there's more world to discover in the book, or, like, what differences might there be, and also just an excuse to watch the movie again after I've read the book, Mm -hmm. so... I feel like it's one that I've wanted to get off my list for a while, and I finally added it after some instance where it came up. I don't remember where, podcasts or otherwise, but uh, I look forward to hopefully getting to that this year, maybe. Ooh, nice, nice. Yeah, I just checked to see whether that was already in my TBR. It is. Oh, awesome. Yeah. What's your one book that you bought this week? So I have bought one book so far on my trip, which is pretty impressive because I tend to buy a lot of books when Mm -hmm. I'm traveling. It's kind of like my traveling gift and I love to like collect books from when I'm at other places because it reminds me of that place when I read it later. But the book that I picked up is called Love As Always, Kurt. Vonnegut As I Knew Him by Laurie Rackstraw. So it is from the perspective of someone who had a four decade long friendship with Vonnegut and was always asked like what he was like Mm. you know how can you capture this really incredible person with such a specific personality that everyone is curious to like understand better because he just had a really interesting mind Mm. and he was a great thinker and a great talker and so I was excited by this because I was at this like secondhand bookstore and usually I'll always ask like if they have a Vonnegut section or where I can find the Vonnegut's in the store because I'm always on the hunt for the best covers. I love to like pick out the best covers as I read the books. And he didn't have any, the store owner didn't have any covers that I was particularly in love with. They were mostly modern covers but he did have this book which got me really excited and he was a really nice guy he actually I talked to him about the podcast and he took down the name so if he's listening I think his name is Steve if you're out there Steve thanks so much for this book I'm really (laughs) excited to read it it's I guess a essay format collection of just different conversations that this person had with Vonnegut a few like captions from letters but mostly just recounting stories of being with him and their interactions so I'm really excited for this one because I'm always curious about the the mind behind the books you Mm -hmm. know whether it's Vonnegut or it's any other writer I love but it was particularly special because I I love Vonnegut so much he's my favorite author as you know so I look forward to getting to this one eventually awesome sounds great that is love as always Kurt Vonnegut as I knew him Fantastic. Sounds like a really great find. Absolutely. I'm doing so bad at making sure I end the year with only 40 books on my unread TBR list. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick to that rule. That was not so ambitious at the start of the year, but since the start of the year, I have bought so many books, more than I probably did all year last year. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Hey, I mean, you didn't anticipate getting the opportunity to raid your friend's shelf either, so... It's true. I mean, I probably could have anticipated that. I knew I'd been wanting to do it for a while, but I only just finally did it. You know, maybe this is just, like, I I should still push myself to try and reach that goal and just focus on physical books I have. Something that I do want to change, actually, that I've noticed about one of my challenges, specifically my new release challenge, is that I've been getting those books physically because, I don't know, they sound like interesting books that aren't, like, fluff and are books that I would stay engaged with Mm -hmm. enough to read the physical edition, but... 
it's turning into sort of a, a drain on my time mm. in the month because like if I were doing it on audiobook, mm. it would be an easy one to squeeze in there rather than being one of the couple physical books that I read in a month. Yeah. And I'm considering like if it's a book that I don't own, if I'm getting it from the library, maybe I should just stick to listening to audiobooks mm. so that I can save the time for physical reading for the books that I actually own and want to get off my shelf. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, yeah. I'm still ruminating on that whole decision. Well, if your library has them available in audio like I as easily then why not yeah why not exactly well so so now we can get into what your final read of the week was yes my final read of the week was I want to die but I want to eat tteokbokki by Bae Sehi and translated by Anton Herr and because this is a book that Emma had read recently Mm -hmm. and because it's one that's I think received a little bit more attention recently it's been in the public conversation because I mean the I think the edition that I'm reading was released in 2019 maybe in the UK or something but only recently in the US I'm not exactly sure what happened but Mm -hmm. it seemed like a lot of people in the US couldn't access this book including my library they didn't have it until maybe November of 2022 so I'm not exactly sure what the deal was but I finally got access to it. It's been in the conversation lately. I read it. Emma's read it. We decided we'd have a little book review, book talk about it. Yep, absolutely. So to start us off, I have some like notes that I can go through Mm -hmm. to sort of lead our discussion about the different ideas that came up that I wanted to talk about. But just before we get into each of those little details, maybe you can give me and the listeners a recap of your review, your parting thoughts, maybe have any of those thoughts changed since you originally read it a couple weeks ago. Sure. So it was well more than a couple of weeks ago. finished it November 29. 2022. Mm. This was a 3.75 star read for me. I enjoyed listening to it. I thought it was a very interesting way of presenting a book. Very unique style, having it basically just be a bunch of transcripts of your therapy sessions. I didn't find it particularly groundbreaking from a Western point of view, but I could see how it could be of interest in a culture that doesn't talk about mental health as much as we do. But yeah, generally it didn't do a lot for me and I found it quite unmemorable to the point where I'm now very glad that you have discussion points because I remember very little of it. Also, I didn't mention this when we originally discussed it, but for a book that has Tokboki in the name, the actual author mentioned it not once. Yeah, it was very, I mean, I think there was a mention once or twice in the, like, preface and in a sort of... The psychologist um, mentioned it. Wrap up. Yeah, the psychologist mentioned it. Okay, so yeah, that definitely... I was hoping for more of a story that involved, like, using food as a, a coping way mechanism. to yeah. find... As a coping mechanism. Me too. I was fully expecting food as a coping mechanism to be like a main thing. Yeah. And it wasn't. And I I didn't mention that last time. I forgot. But like, I was so confused (laughs) by that. There was a distinct lack of food references, which I was hoping for more food references. So that was a little disappointing. But I actually did really like this. Okay. Um, I think I'm giving this a four. Oh. Oh my God. I think this is the first time you've ever rated a book higher than I have. (laughs) Very popular. 
possible. Very, very possible. Usually, even when you like a book more than I do, our rating systems are so different and I rate things so much more positively than you do. <laughs> Usually, my rating ends up being like the same or higher than yours. I think this is the first time this has ever happened. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, it was interesting. First of all, I guess the reason I brought it up to a four was that I can immediately see that this would be an interesting story that I would recommend to certain people that I've already been like, oh, you might like this, you know? Not because I think it's, you know, completely groundbreaking. Like, I think it's tough because we all are on our own mental health journey and are going to face different struggles. And the Mm. things that are obvious to us won't be obvious to other people. And the things that we struggle to understand are going to be obvious to others, right? Mm. And so when I first started this book, I definitely went into it being a little bit, feeling a little bristly because I was like, huh, I don't know how I feel about the tone and the perspective of Bake Sehi and her struggles because they're not things that I particularly struggle with. And I actually found that to be untrue as I went on. I found more and more things in common with my struggles and her struggles, which was interesting because at first I totally didn't see myself in her and her perspective. But I was able to eventually detach my expectation of like this being a therapy session for me or this being like a self-help book for me from the expectation that this is just an observation of someone else's mental health journey and their process. So I completely agree with what your assessment was back when we reviewed this in November or December, or when you reviewed this in November or December, that this should not be labeled as self-help because it's not instructional whatsoever. It has nothing to do with... Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's basically a memoir. And I really liked that because she is open about topics that, even in the West, at least in my perspective, are not entirely entirely discussed and there were certain little nuggets of gold around the book that I found sprinkled in there that I really liked and made me reflect on my own life which was cool like we said I am lacking the food references I wanted Mm. more food as a foodie myself that was something I was highly anticipating and that wasn't there but I'm not gonna Mm. say that ruined the book for me at all I was able to really enjoy certain parts of it by the way have you ever eaten tteokbokki I have I like Tuck It's good. Yeah. So I was definitely ready to like empathize with that, but <laughs> but then it wasn't there, unfortunately. But that's okay because I do think there were, you know, other interesting points to make. And I think the title, even though it sort of misleads you into thinking this is gonna be a more foodie book than it is, also it portrays well the idea that you can have this sort of passive mental health issue Mm. you know like mental health issue that is woven into your everyday life that doesn't characterize you in a way that most people on the outside expect mental health to like sort of take over your whole life and be a defining characteristic of who you are outwardly when a lot of the time for most people it's very much an internal thing that we don't you know, externalize. Totally. I also think it's tough to tell a story like this because not every person, even with the same issues, will resolve those issues with the same approach or strategy, you know. So it's such a, it's so subjective. 
Yeah. You know, and so I can imagine how this book is really easily maybe polarizing. It's not so divisive. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not very, I want to say it's not exciting because it's Mm -hmm. not. But I don't think that makes it a bad book. Like, Mm -hmm. it it sounds bad to say this is not an exciting book. But I wouldn't say there's any, like, action adventure, you know, or anything really thrilling in it. There's some really, there's some points where she's like, in parentheses, I was crying. You're like, oh, this is an intense moment more than the others. But it's not, like, super high and low. It's pretty, almost monotone. Mm -hmm. But in, in a way, I didn't mind because it was a pretty short book. So I think being monotone didn't bother me too much. Something that I was anticipating going into it that I I was a bit nervous about was the portrayal of the psychiatrist Mm. because I find psychiatrist portrayals in literature and movies to be so frustrating not only because they're often not my psychiatrist right they're not the advice my psychiatrist would give me which makes sense because obviously not every psychiatrist not even the same psychiatrist should give two patients the exact same response most likely but also because so many of them are terrible in media you know what I mean like they're so often these antagonists who either hop up the main character on drugs or they're the antagonist who makes the main character feel trapped or like there's something wrong with them or you know it's such a sad portrayal I think because in our society I feel like we've come so far to like embracing and accepting therapy as a healthy Mm. regular practice of healthcare that like even people who aren't in crisis should feel free to access and feel encouraged to access so I was a little bit nervous about that and What I think really moved me was, at first, you know, it was a bit clunky, in my opinion, like, feeling like, "Mm, I don't know if this is advice that I really feel is sound, or I can't imagine my therapist saying this kind of thing to me. Also, just, like, my therapy sessions, personally, (laughs) tend to be much more, like, me heavy like I just talk a lot I'm a verbal processor and Mm -hmm. so I'm I'll talk for the majority of the time and my therapist will provide support and affirmation yeah Uh, whereas this was very much a dialogue where they were speaking equally and the therapist was even giving recommendations which is something I feel like a lot of my therapists have shied away from like they usually don't want to which uh, but is possibly a a difference in like western and eastern styles of therapy because that is definitely how psychology is taught in the West is like you are there to be a sounding board mostly and direct advice is almost always discouraged because right like you are not there to tell them what to do like that's not your job adults make their own decisions it takes away any people's sense of agency if you are telling them like how to live their life essentially so I think that potentially is a cultural difference and or the therapist was just like have you know having a day that day because you know it, it, there is that note by the psychologist in her note at the end that's like I don't actually necessarily stand by all of my own comments here some of these I'm like I you know I'm human I've made my own mistakes here <laughs> so you know which I thought was interesting yeah no see that was so interesting and I did not expect that that kind of came out of left field for me and it was really what solidified this book in my mind as being like something I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. because it sort of clarified that this is not like preaching any method of psychology or any approach to mental health or even to living your life in general. It was just this sort of raw dialogue that 
anyone could overthink both the the author and the psychiatrist that the author was dictating but I really thought that added a level of like authenticity that you don't often catch in Mm. most portrayals of psychiatry and of therapy in writing whether it's fiction or nonfiction. so I don't know I think this is a kind of book that you could easily feel a little bit thrown off by how the dialogue feels how it kind of maybe feels at times that the psychiatrist would give more recommendations or advice than I would expect a psychiatrist to in the west Mm. but it's balanced out by how just like like I said raw authenticity how raw this story is in terms of the the way it was created Mm. and you find out through the book that these dialogues are actually recordings that she recorded not for the book originally but because she recorded everything as a way to control and monitor her sense of perception her uh, her outward perception and so i loved the the connection to what she was actually processing and doing and the habits she was trying to overcome in this like over analyzing herself and over critiquing herself and how she used that in order to actually create this work of art that Mm -hmm. can help other people or also just like spread awareness and add another perspective to the the cultural fabric yeah so i really liked that okay yeah that's a that's a very good point seeing it as a work of art that's come out of that obsession i think is is a very it's definitely a different way of seeing it than how i was seeing it and i think that's that i can definitely understand how that would have enriched your enjoyment of it you know i was curious by the end and i don't think she mentioned this although i could be forgetting i was curious about if she stopped this habit of recording everything she said and if this was sort of like capping the bottle on that particular obsession sort Mm. of putting the pen down you know and and saying like this is what i'm going to take away from that experience i wonder if that was an intentional part of the process or just something that naturally evolved Mm, maybe maybe Hopefully. Yeah. I Have you watched that movie on Netflix called Stutz? Called what? Stutz. S-T-U-T-Z? No. I think. I, and that's, unless I'm misremembering. So it's this movie that just came out on Netflix with Jonah Hill, which is literally this, I guess. Is this the one with his documentary and his therapist? With his psychiatrist. Yeah. Yes. And it was really interesting because, I mean, this was maybe a little bit more accessible for me just because it was Western psychiatry. It was a little more like fringe than maybe the psychiatrist I've had. Mm. I imagine this is like an expensive Hollywood, Hollywood psychiatrist. Even even the one that was featured briefly in Jeanette McCurdy's memoir i was like okay this is a bit much it seems like it's a bit kooky (laughs) right right no this definitely had a a hint of that kookiness but i actually really enjoyed it because it showed similar to this book okay so bring it back to the topic stutz reminded me a lot of i want to die because it was the perspective of someone and their therapist and their process and how they've sort of come to these different conclusions in their life because of the wisdom and advice of the psychiatrist Mm. they had and how those experiences don't have to directly translate to your experience in order for it to be something that you can gain insight from Mm. you know that you can observe others in their struggles and how they overcame those things and I guess just like humanize those other experiences not to say that like not liking this book that much means you don't humanize those experiences Mm. at all Emma I just mean like for me it 
helped to like see those perspectives and also to remind myself that not everything has to be about me because my immediate response to like seeing something that's about psychiatry is like how does this relate to my experience Mm -hmm. of psychiatry right and in neither of these cases was it a direct translation but both were insightful and interesting and helps me see the the diversity within mental health struggles. So I would recommend that movie, even though I'm comparing it to this book that wasn't your favorite thing. I would say you might appreciate this one a little bit more. I think it tugged at my heartstrings a little bit more than mm. I Want to Die did, but both were interesting from, from that sort of perspective of like seeing a range mm. of experiences within psychiatry. Okay. Yeah. Especially since you're into psychiatry as a, as a topic of study. So yeah. um, you might like this book. I mean, this movie. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> mm, totally. I mean, I think anyone who, who liked this book would probably like that movie. So mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a general recommendation. Also, there's just like interesting ideas in there. The different approaches mm. to, to life and to self-reflection. I, I think it can all be valuable in some way. Mm-hmm. Now, to balance out sort of all of my (laughs) positive appreciation of the book, there were a few things that sort of threw me off, which I'm curious if these are also things that contributed to your scoring of it. Mm. But first of all, I guess I am immediately skeptical of any psychiatry-related situation in which meds are prescribed immediately or like upon the first session. Maybe... That is a normal thing, but I don't know. For me, I can't imagine... I can't imagine you don't get to know your patient before prescribing medication to them. No? That kind of threw me off. My only interaction with a psychiatrist rather than a psychologist was basically when my GP had already started me on meds and she wanted to, like, check with a psychiatrist to see if he agreed Mm. and I already was working with a psychologist and the psychiatrist talked to me very very thoroughly for quite some time maybe two hours and within that time he had diagnosed me with anxiety and depression he somehow really quickly figured out that I have trait level OCD which clicked in my brain immediately no one had ever diagnosed that before but I went oh god, that explains so much. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have full-blown OCD, but I do have, like, a trait level of it that is very present within my anxiety. And he was able to confirm that my doctor was on the right track. So I would say that given enough time, there are some specialists who are good enough to be able to do that in the first appointment. Right. I mean, obviously I'm not a professional in this, so I... I yeah. really can't <laughs> give a, a prescribe, shall yeah. I say, prescribe and an approach to like giving out meds, but but I guess it just like struck me. And definitely I know that like for people who are more at risk of not functioning in their day-to-day life, they might be more likely to bring in meds sooner is the other thing. Right. Like I started meds even before I could get the psychiatrist appointment because my doctor was fairly certain that they would help me. Like, she was like, I'm going to start you on these now because I think that you need them. Right, And we're going to monitor you very closely. Like, she had me coming in very regularly. I was seeing my psych very regularly at that time as well. And I had people keeping a very close eye on me. (laughs) So everything was still very monitored. And, you know, then the psychiatrist was able to go, yep, you look like you're on the right track here. So. Well, you know, that 
actually kind of leads into one of my other points of friction with the book, which maybe explains why I was a bit confused by this, which is that sometimes the dialogue feels a bit too neat. Yes. You know, like she says she's just transcribing them from the conversations from recordings, but I have to imagine there are certain things she cut out. Like there must have been a whole conversation that led to the prescription of the drugs that wasn't included in the book, right? So maybe if I had received that, I would understand. Well, she can't. She can't include everything. That would be an incredibly long book. So of course there there must have been like no, of course, of course, because usually initial appointments for any new specialist of any kind of specialist is like a longer appointment. So surely well maybe then my critique here is that i would have liked that conversation just because i think right just specifically about what led to the prescription of medication Mm. just because i mean not not that like i'm hesitant about the idea of people being prescribed Mm. medication i'm on psychiatric medications myself and they greatly improve my quality of life and i really appreciate that but i also think that something that often is villainized in psychiatry in the media in books and movies Mm. is this idea that prescriptions are immediately just applied as which a does happen application as well. which it does, does happen. happen yeah i mean yeah and it may and have happened this is here a real life knows? but i guess exactly. i guess i'm this just using a... my example as as you know I'm, I'm providing my own life as an example of of how it can happen and how it could have happened just, right. just to kind of demonstrate the various ways that these things can go and what may have happened behind the scenes yeah no and i have a feeling that if it were an unhealthy route towards, you know, this prescription. She probably wouldn't have talked about it so much in the book. So I'm sure this was a perfectly healthy situation that was monitored well by the health professionals she had. So I'm sure it's fine. It was just, I guess it struck me. And so I Mm. was trying to get to the bottom of what about it bothered me. And I think that ultimately led to this conclusion that I just wanted to hear a little bit more about Mm. it because I think seeing a therapist and going on prescription medications to treat Mm. mental health problems can feel like two vastly different levels of psychiatric treatment, you know, which for some people they're not. Some people they go hand in hand. But I think, I guess to be someone who's trying to share their experience with the public to open up the conversation about what, you know, this process looks like. I think I wanted to hear more about that because it was almost a little too close to, for me, to the stereotypical idea of, oh, the second you see a therapist, they're going to hop you up on a bunch of Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would play into that, yeah. I don't know. It was just an interesting thing to know. Mm. Obviously, she can't, you know, I mean, I don't think at least she like changed her story for narrative purpose or mm. something like that. But it was interesting to recognize that hesitance, yeah. though I completely became comfortable with it by the time the book was over. And especially after hearing the psychiatrist's note discussing yeah. how the psychiatrist had looked on to the conversations and reflected on their own words and etc. I mean, the only other psychiatrist issue that I saw of had was that moment early on in the book where the psychiatrist is like here i'm gonna send you a survey with 500 questions that you can answer in the next week i was like what kind of psychiatrist would send that who's gonna answer a 500 question survey that's the exact kind of psychiatrist i don't want yeah Yeah, that's like added stress who wants that (laughs) but maybe that's how it works in korea i don't know honestly Hey, everyone loves talking about themselves. Let's let's be honest here. So a 500 question <laughs> survey about yourself doesn't sound so unappealing. It just sounds really time consuming. <laughs> Especially if someone's already like anxiety ridden and depressed and mm. stressed out, most likely. 
Yeah. I was like, what kind of survey is this? I mean, those were my only, I guess, critiques, which are even difficult to really name as critiques because they're her life and her real experiences. It's, yeah. of course, difficult to critique. The arc of a story when it's nonfiction. I think the only other thing I had was that I did feel like it was a little bit repetitive in, mm. you know, the way that her perspective on life or her troubles came up over and over again. I mean, it made sense because, yeah. of course, that's what happens. You know, we get focused on these ideas and it takes us a long time to get out of them. Yeah. But I think maybe for, for narrative purposes, I felt it was a little bit repetitive. Other than that, those are my only critiques. What were your main critiques out of curiosity that led to your feelings on the book? I guess I just had trouble with the overall lack of actual analysis. I think I would have enjoyed this book better if it had been written by the psychologist, honestly. Hmm, interesting. I know that the transcript element was kind of the gimmick of the book, for want of a better term, but just reading someone's appointments was not very interesting to me, personally. Possibly... Honestly, possibly, I it just kind it just occurred to me now. It may have taken me back to times when I was reading like role plays and case studies at uni, mm, which is not <laughs> doesn't help. No, um, uni was a very stressful time for me, and I probably was not keen to get back to that. And the author's own analysis section didn't really do much for me. And the psychologist note at the end was the only thing that was kind of interesting to me, and it was very short. So. I guess it just didn't do enough for me. Like 3.7, it got the 3.75 because the concept was interesting and because, you know, hearing hearing about, you know, as, as you said, this the, the journey of this person, who, you know, who's learning about her own insecurities and using this recording for something. But yeah, the I guess it was a lack of depth for me. You know, it was interesting because there were those, you know, book-ended discussions at the start and end of each chapter yeah. where the author sort of prefaces the topics that they go into in that session and then in the end sort of reflects on that topic. I think it would have been maybe more interesting if one or both of those sections was written by the psychiatrist. Psychiat yeah, because I agree. You know, maybe maybe the preface was, like, the author and the author talking about, like, where these feelings were coming up in her life and just sort of commentary and reflecting from where she is now on that topic. But then at the end of the chapter, she would do this sort of recap of a certain concept and try to make thoughtful conclusions about it, which I thought was interesting, but I think could have been better done by a professional. Yes, right? I like, agree. More yep. solid conclusions yes. that are like research-based yes exactly yeah i did think there were a couple interesting ideas in there like for instance and maybe this is something that you had already verbalized to yourself or maybe not even struggled with in the first place but i really liked the way that the therapist talked about how faking interest in other people and their lives doesn't make you more empathetic because that's definitely something that like i've had to come to terms with more in my life like she talks about how Bakes say he wants to, you know, make people feel understood and heard and appreciated by how she pays attention to them, asks them questions, you know, is engaged mm. with them in conversation, but isn't actually interested. She's just doing it to be an empathetic person. But faking interest doesn't make you empathetic inherently, right. you know? And so I thought that was a very interesting sort of thing to point out because I definitely do the same thing where, like, I oh, want okay. people to feel listened to and I want people to feel... Like 
like there's someone paying attention and caring about what they say that's like important to me and I do think there's a form of empathy in there but also you can take it too far you know in a way that's like ingenuine and leads to the other person not really being sure if you were nodding along because you were interested or nodding along because you didn't want to be rude and their story was boring you know Mm -hmm. like I think authenticity comes through in these conversations pretty clearly and a lot of the time when we think we're faking interest it doesn't always even come across as interest even though we we are intending to and so who's benefiting from this situation that sort of came up in my mind and made me reflect on my own goals to be more honest I also was connecting to her conversation about how she's trying to be more honest in her life that she doesn't like lie in this sort of insidious way where she's intending to cause harm Mm. or disrupt people's lives but she lies for convenience or lies to make her stories more interesting or more relatable or to make other people feel like what they're going through is relatable that was something I I really connected to because it's something I do as well sometimes it can just be like easy to lie especially if it's a stranger or someone you don't interact with that much Mm. and it's something that I've been wanting to work on more because I know it doesn't come from a negative place but it also isn't necessarily a positive habit Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so I thought there were a few points within the book that made me think the other one that kind of stuck out to me was the contradiction of how talking about your depressive symptoms with a therapist or even with friends is really important but often the way to make you sort of feel better about them is to normalize them and be like this is something that all people feel but as soon as you hear that from someone as soon as someone as even though that's the thing you want to hear you want to hear that it's okay that like it's normal that it's not that you're not alien for feeling these things at the same time you automatically hear oh you're being overdramatic about your feelings you don't actually have a disease you (laughs) are just talking about you're you're full of yourself is what I think she says in this book she says does that make me full of myself and so I really liked that point as well there were a few moments you know where I felt like oh this is poignant so yeah those were my general thoughts in the book. I guess the only other point I had on my list to make about the topics that were brought up for me as I was reading was one that was like probably the most fringe idea in this book that spoke to me, but I was curious about your thoughts on. She briefly talks, like very briefly, talks about this concept in Korean culture specifically, I believe, where they're trying to transition away from certain terms such as ending the term suicide and describing it more as free death as it kind of felt like a little bit out of the topic of conversation because she wasn't really experiencing at least she wasn't talking about experiencing self-harm ideation or desires so it kind of came out of nowhere but it was an interesting sort of point to throw out there and I was curious if you were familiar with this concept or if it was something you've learned about in your psychology studies I don't remember that at all why don't I read the section it's really brief I think where she talks about this idea okay on page 141, she says, In Hong Sung Hee's Suicide Diaries, I read about her thoughts on free death. In the same way, the Korean word for menopause should not be menstrual shutdown, but menstrual completion, she thought that the word suicide should be replaced with free death, a linguistic idea that made an impression on me. There are so many words with highly negative meanings, textures, and impressions, abortion, menopause, suicide, and so on. It's impossible to fathom the sadness of those who are left behind. But if life gives one more suffering than death, shouldn't we respect their right to end life? 
We are so bad at mourning in our society. Maybe it's a failure of respect. Some called those who choose their own death sinners or failures or losers who give up. Is living until the end really a triumph in every case, as if there can be any true winning or losing in this game of life? I've never heard a perspective like that really talked about in any work, let alone nonfiction or fiction. It kind of struck me because that's something I've felt in my life for a long time that I think we should have more room to empathize and understand. And I struggle to say it, but like respect the choice to end your life because if someone is struggling so deeply with their life, who are we to say that, oh no, your experience should be lived through? We don't know their experience. And so that's been something that I've really struggled with in the language of psychology for a long time, that like we can automatically assume that suicide or life ending is synonymous with tragedy, you know? I mean, I think it's tragic for someone to live a really depressive life and to live a life that they don't want to live. That's definitely a tragedy in any terms. But I also really appreciate the way that she, in this book, Big he points out that a lot of that sort of perspective on people ending their life being failures who give up has this mentality of like life being a game that we can win or lose or do right or do wrong, you know, and that maybe it's important in society to shift our perspective in towards the idea that everyone's on their own path going through their own experience and have the agency to make decisions that feel right for their lives. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm really surprised that I didn't process that quote. I'm now wondering what kind of frame of mind I was in when I read this, because uh, that seems like the kind of thing that should have stuck out to me. Well, actually, it was towards the end, so you might have been lost at this point. You might have just been like, oh, this book isn't for me, that's all right. <laughs> you know, checking out a little I bit. I may have. Okay, yeah, that, che- that checks out. Yeah, that's... I like that thought quite a lot, the idea of respecting those ideas. Of course, it's something we don't have to come to a conclusion on in this podcast because this is not a <laughs> mental health psychology-based podcast and either neither of us are professionals, of course, but I thought it was an interesting point to highlight, you know, in this text. Yeah, definitely. And I've always been, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always been really pro, you know, euthanasia under the right circumstances, all that kind of stuff. But the idea of calling suicide free death, that kind of thing, and respecting suicide as a decision, I have always really hated the idea of suicide as a selfish decision. Mm. A lot of the time, by the time you get to the point where you are actually attempting, you're not thinking about anyone else anymore, (laughs) but it's not because you're selfish, it's because you can't. You can't think past your own desperation anymore. It's not you choosing yourself over other people. It's you ending pain. Like, imagine you've just had your leg chopped off, right? And you're in absolute agony. In that moment, you are not thinking about how your grandma's going, (laughs) right? That's what it's like by the time you're at the point of attempting. You are in so much emotional agony that nothing else exists. You're just not thinking about it. And so I do appreciate that that's kind of a viewpoint of not seeing suicide as like a selfish decision that I appreciate. The idea of calling it free death, I think, sounds a little too 
Uh, I don't think it's the right translation. Yeah, I think I. I don't know if it's I was the about right to say. I wonder. I wonder. That's my. Yeah, I wonder how uh, well that's been translated instinct. because free death makes it sound a little too much like an option. I feel like it should still be something that sounds discouraged <sighs> because it's still final, and that that's because the uh, the word free doesn't sound like a, f- a final thing, you know. So I think there would be a danger in that <laughs> if that's kind of where they're going. But yeah, that's I guess that's my my kind of thought. It's surprising actually a little bit that this idea and this like cultural change is happening in an environment that we in the West would maybe consider a little bit more conservative yeah. on the side of like emotional openness. Yeah. Whereas maybe we think of Western cultures being, you know, more like hard on your sleeve. Mm. Not when it comes to certain Meanwhile, things though, like like Western culture is terrified of death and we always have been right. like, you know, it's we just right. have such a thing about death. Whereas other cultures, like I mean, Eastern cultures have things like reincarnation and stuff like that have always been discussed more and like they talk about they talk about death more in their folklore and all that kind of stuff whereas death here is a very taboo subject generally i would say suicide especially so mental health when it's at a certain level is discussed a lot here if you are mildly depressed or if you're anxious or if you're stressed if you're if you're stressed people love talking about that that is like the number one thing that people will be very happy to talk about people talk about stress all the time because that's related to work productivity and capitalism and people love talking about that uh but if you're actively suicidal or self-harming or something like that that's when people in the west get uncomfortable (laughs) so like to say that we're like all free liberal flowing open-minded it's you know it really only goes so far anyway yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm glad that we discussed this book, even though it wasn't like a number one favorite yes. for either of us, is because I think there's a lot to, to dig into yeah. here and develop our like perspective on and understanding of, I definitely think it was a good yeah. discussion book, you know, that's, I think one of the most valuable things about like book reading and book reviewing is yeah. not just talking about, did we like it? Did we yeah. not like it? Uh, or, you know, saying the things that probably have already been said by 10 other marketing yeah. things, right? Like I, I wanted to start this podcast and to like be in conversation with someone about books so that we can like really dig deep and understand these things more than we would on our own right yeah well thank you so much for having this conversation with me about this book i really enjoyed this i look forward to our next book deep dive they're always some of my favorite episodes yes thank you everyone for listening we have been books without borders you can contact us at books without borders pod at gmail.com that's books without borders pod at gmail.com that is listed in our show notes along with every book we mentioned in this episode and some other resources as well if anything we said in this episode today kind of triggered up some sensitive topics for you please do look up your local suicide prevention hotline we have listeners from so many different countries that unfortunately it would be impossible for us to list them all in our show notes otherwise i would please 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 look after yourselves and get in touch with the people that are important to you and get help if you need because we love you and we want you to be happy and safe we love you thanks for listening thanks for listening we will catch you next next time. time all right bye bye guys